I want we're turning to Deuteronomy 26 because we know we are we are the we are the tribe of Israel. You're working. Which tribe are we? Well, we are the favorites. Which people are we? The favorites. We are those people that have God's favor and blessing, and um, such a. It, it's not just. Um, we, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, from Psalm 90 when Moses said that for the people, he one the prayer he had, the prayer he prayed is they would come back into that place of God's favor, so they could launch in and take. The, the promised land and that the work of their hands would be established by the fact that God's pleasure and God's looked upon them with with, with approval and, and said, you're my people. And Moses said, that is what we need. We need to know that we are under God's favor because it's God's favor that enables us to go into this promised land and the things that we do will work and will be established, not by the strength of our might, you know, not because we're powerful people. They are fully aware. It's not because of who we are. We're not a great and mighty people. We're not mighty warriors. We're not strong, but it's God. It's God's hand upon us. It's God that will bless us and God's presence that goes before us. That's what is our strength. There's no strength in, in, in our abilities. And um, he recognized that and he knew that and he said, we need to go forth in your favor. And it's so I've just declared I am one of God's favorites. I belong in that tribe. I belong to that group. I'm part of his favor. I see it in the word of God. I see it. That's his plan. And I see it um, over my life. And I want to understand and walk in the fullness of that favor. One of the things God dropped a little a phrase in my heart is that favorites know their history. Favorites know their history. We know where we've come from. We know what God has done. It's important. It's one of the things you look at the children of Israel. They understood their history, but not just their history in the sense of sit down. We're going to do an exam today. And, you know, like I could say, what's our history today? You know, Australian history. What, you know, what date did this happen? When did this happen? When did, you know, you know, I don't think my family, well, some of, some of my family would be doing amazing. Others would be like, I didn't even know that existed, you know, and, and, um, and you know, dates and those sorts of things are not strong in their in their world so i'm not talking about that type of history thank god there's a history where you understand what has happened with um, a prophetic and 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 godly insight you know things through you, you understand things through god's perspective it's history needs to be seen through a perspective doesn't it you know people can twist history they can um, ignore history um, those who do not understand history, I think there's a saying, those who do not understand history or do not remember it are destined to repeat it. People don't, you know, people who lose a sense of um, some of the things that happened. That's why I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a strong supporter of some of the, the museums and things that we have around the world that remember certain times or eras or events, both good and terrible as a reminder because sometimes you move forward and you forget what people went through and the struggles they went through or the evil that prevailed at that time until good people rose up and worked God's deliverance effectively and rescued people so you know there are museums that remind us there are places you go that show that hey that the freedoms we enjoy have been paid for things have been you know not just come to us because this is how it's always been and, and that's a good reminder 
So understanding history, but understanding it through the right perspective, using the right lens and seeing it is, um, is a skill that we all need. So favorites know their history, know their covenant history. It's not just, oh, we just know uh, some historical facts. It's not just that we can say all the names and dates. I, you know, I can go through all the books of the Bible. I can, do the, I can tell you the history of the church. You know, I've, um, I've, I have read, I, I, I love reading history because um, one of the gifts of my life is a Bible teacher. And as a teacher, perspective is so important and being able to see things in the light of what has come before and, and how it's all come together. You know, even the truths that we so enjoy today, people have died for. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? People have, some of the things that we think are just, um, uh, you know, just casual, people had to go through great persecution for. Um, so I have read many, many history books. And when um, Christine was in labor with our first child, Caleb, um, we were in um, Q Hospital. Uh, St. George's Hospital there in Kew, and I think they do, um, you, you can't get born there now, that the hospital's all changed, but when our first two children were born in St. George's in Kew, and um, Caleb, was, yeah, he, he was taking his time. He, he was not, you know, he was not quick in the, um, in the birthing process. And um, so, you know, we started this process at the hospital late night, and it was late in the next day, I can't remember. Yeah, four o'clock in the afternoon, was it? Yeah, so we, so that's a long night. And um, it was just in early part of January. And for Christmas, I had received a book, which I had asked for. It's not like, oh, you know, sometimes you get stuff. What are you giving them? The History of Christianity, New Testament Christianity. And it was, you know, a volume about this big. And I went through about 1,100 years of New Testament Christianity. <laughs> through that night of Caleb's birth. <laughs> you know, so I read, I don't know how many pages, just, but I enjoyed that. That was like, Christine didn't read any. She was pre otherwise preoccupied. Um, but I was there by her side reading <laughs> New Testament history, encouraging her, did you know this? Wow, well, guess what happened in Constantine? Now, this is amazing, 300 AD, and look what's... <laughs> Look what the church is going through. Did you know there was three popes at one time? You know? <laughs> Did you know there was three popes at one time? Did anyone know that? Because oh, what happened was, you know, th th there was fights in the, um, you know, popes, popes moved from, you know, a godly sort of leader type situation, you know, to very much a political role. And, and they had more power than kings and, and emperors for um, parts of the time and things. And... Um, and there became a schism, and, and, it, and it broke apart. And so one, one group proclaimed their pope, but another group proclaimed another pope. So you had two conflicting popes for a while. and trying to, to, So a third group tried to stop all the, 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 the schisms and bring everything. So they united them together and chose, rather than one or the two, because no one could agree on those two, they said, well, we won't do any of those two. We'll choose a third person who will then, you know, be the Pope, and then, you know, so neither side can be upset. Guess what happened? The other two sides didn't agree, and now you end up with a third Pope. So you had three Popes. Um, anyway, and Caleb was born. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I've read many, many um, biographies and autobiographies and, um, 
you know, books like the 40 Great Leaders That Have Influenced the New Testament Church and 40 Great Leaders of the 20th Century. And for, you know, I, I just, that is really helpful to me. It gives perspective and understanding some of the things that we just take for granted. I remember finding a book in a secondhand bookshop called Moody Without Sankey. And I didn't know what Sankey was. Didn't really know what Moody was. I, you know, and, and it's not a book on emotions, all right? Okay? It's not, um, it's not a book you give to you, you know, your friend and say, hey, you need this. You're a bit moody. Um, no, uh, Moody was a great evangelist. And I didn't realize at the time, but Sankey was his song leader. And I didn't know what Moody without Sankey even meant, you know, but I read that, that this, about this great evangelist. But he had his own a song leader that traveled with him. And this book was just covering the life of Moody. It didn't cover the life of Sankey. That's why it was called Moody Without Sankey. It was just focused on Moody, whereas normally a lot of books that cover Moody's life would do a dual biography because he was so important. But um, Sankey was a, a song leader, and, you know, like, he, he was singing hymns and with the, on the organ, and it was, you know, I'm not sure we'd sing any of his songs today. You know, I'm, not, I'm guessing they weren't particularly sort of, you know, songs we'd say were really upbeat or really, you know, the songs, modern songs. But I can tell you something, even though those songs to us would seem so ancient and so old-fashioned, they went to Scotland and the churches in Scotland banned Moody because of the songs that Sankey was singing. Because Sankey was singing songs that had human words, whereas their songs were only, they'd only sing the Psalms. They would only sing the songs that were come from the scriptures. So he was singing songs of his own. So even great hymns and things where it talks about Calvary and Jesus and Christ, not good enough for the Scottish people. If it didn't come from the Bible, it didn't deserve to be sung. And um, so they banned him. And so it was riots and, you know, people picketing. The, the And, you know, so today we sing songs that are not psalms, and I'm quite good with that. You know, it makes it hard to fill the scripture. It says, sing a new song to the Lord if you can only sing old songs. If you can only sing songs that have been pre-written, you can't sing a new song. You can maybe put it to a new tune, but I think singing, you know, singing these songs as we are inspired and get revelation of God and it becomes a fresh song to us, I think that's good. But what we take for granted, somebody was persecuted for. And um, so history tells me all the things that I enjoy, what the cost was. Because sometimes you just don't realize how much it cost to enjoy what you're doing. The fact that you're holding a Bible came at huge cost. The fact that you're hearing this teaching came at a great cost. The fact that there are drums on the stage came at great cost. The fact that there are musicians that are not dressed in black and playing the organ. You know, like the organ was... They'd got mad with it, and then, then you're only allowed to have the organ. You know, the, the church is a little bit funny like that, isn't it? We, we, we fight for when it comes in, and we fight when it goes out. So you need to know your history. History is helpful. 
We need to know the history as favorites. What is our history? But not just any history. We need to be very particular about our history. And I want us to look at a situation where God said, you need to know your history like the Israelites knew their history. And Deuteronomy 26 has a particular time when they would come and God said, at this moment, you are to not just come into your circumstances here today. You are to see yourself in light of where you've come from. You are to see yourself as the, the final point of a, a story. And Deuteronomy 26 is the story of them bringing their tithes and their offerings. And Deuteronomy 26 is spoken to them when they're still in the wilderness and they're about, it's on the end, they're on the edge of heading into the promised land. This promised land that had been promised, had been promised to Abraham. When Abraham was received a promise and a vision from the Lord, he was told he would his children be like um, the stars in the, the sky and the sand on the seashore. Remember that when God took him outside and showed him all the stars, said, so shall your children be. And then he said to him, I promise you're going to have a land. You're going to dwell in this land. I'm going to give you a land that is going to be your land. And, and Abraham said, how can I know that this is going to happen? And God took him and cut covenant with him. And he said, I'm, I'm cutting covenant so you can know. And he prophesied of him, to him. And actually in the prophecy, he said, in the prophecy, in the prophecy, he prophesied that you're going to come into Egypt and you're going to be taken down, but these people are going to give you the wealth and you're going to go out into the promised land. It was all prophesied and declared. And you're going to go into that promised land and it's going to be your land. It was declared. And so that prophecy was given from Abraham, and then also Isaac received it, and then Jacob received that same prophecy. And Jacob was the one that ended up going down into Egypt to follow. Joseph had made the way, and Jacob comes down, brings the other um, sons. They, they stay there, and then they're in Egypt for 400 years before God finally delivers them through Moses and the 10 plagues that open the door for them to being released. And they go across the Red Sea, and they're walking through the wilderness, but they make a terrible mistake. They make a terrible decision to, to walk in fear and to not trust God. So God says, well, I'm going to have to kill off one whole generation while I have in 40 years, and then we'll bring the new generation through who will trust me, not because he's a narky God, but because the only way to defeat these, um, the, the enemy that's in those land is through faith. If you can't go in by faith, there's no point going in. And he said these people proved to them that they, they could never go in because they would never get past the first enemy because their, fa their fear would just paralyze them because as it did when they tried to go in and even they sent spies and even when they heard about the enemies, they went to water. There was only two out of the whole generation that did not go to water that said, we can do this. God is on our side. We, it's not by our might. It's not by our strength, but it's by the Lord God. And that was Caleb and Joshua. So those two alone were able to go through. And Moses, um, he made, messed his own plans up by striking the rock. We spoke that about, about that a couple of weeks ago. So here they are. They're on the, on the edge of going in. Something has been promised for over 400 years. It's been promised. And Moses said, when you go in and when you are standing in that promised land, you are finally there. And God has given you the fruit of the, those fields. Remember, they carried those grapes to show them the, the amazing land they were going into, a land of milk and honey. It's like amazing land. He said, when you're finally enjoying that, when you're standing there and it comes the time of the year for you to bring your tithe, you know, you're not bringing your tithe of manna. 
You know, up to that point, what tithe do they bring? Manna, because that's all they get every day. Manna, manna, manna. You got tithe, they've got nothing to tithe on except the manna. They've got nothing there. The only thing they had was what God gave them out of the Egyptian riches, which they gave for the building of the tabernacle and, and, and the provision of that. But they're not growing anything. They're not making anything. They're not producing anything because they can't. They're stuck there. But he said, when you come into this land and it comes the time for the bringing the tithe and you're able to say, look at the produce that I've got. This is, I've got the harvest now. And you bring that into the house of the Lord and you bring it to them. This is what I want you to do. Not just to say, hey, I've got a, I've got a good, good harvest. I've got a good tithe. How good am I? This is awesome. I'm amazing. I've got a great tithe. He says, I want you to come in. But when you come in, I want you to see yourselves and that process through this lens. I do not just want you to see it as come. So when you come to the Lord today, like we've done, when you, sorry, my watch was just talking to me. It says you're excited. Sometimes it says it's really loud in here. It's just me. When we come, to the Lord, and we ministered him. We brought tithes and offerings, but when we bring our praise, when we bring our worship, when we ministered him in prayer, when you come, the Lord says, I want you to see what you are doing and how you've come to this point through a lens, not just say, I just, I'm just here. No, you are here, but through a process. And this process he's talking about was a hundreds of years in the making process. So I want you to see through the lens that this is God says, this is how I want you to approach life effectively is through the lens of understanding how you got here. And it says in verse 1, Then it shall be when you enter that land, or the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and you possess it and live in it, that you take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring in front of in from the land that the Lord God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. So they're bringing in their tithe, the first fruits. And you go to the priest who's in office at the time and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God that I have entered the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. So it's a joint thing. I bring it. The priest also brings it, puts it down. And verse 5, you shall answer. In other words, you, you make, to make this declaration, you're to be able to speak it out. You're to be able to say it out. In verse 5, you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean. And he went down to Egypt and he sojourned there for a few, they're few in number, but there he became a great, mighty and populous nation. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us and imposed hard labor on us. Then we cried to the, the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground, which the Lord has given me. In other words, I, it's not just, oh, I just brought this. It's in the light of what God has done, I bring this. But I like, the history is selective. You know, when, when I sit there and I say, oh, I read a book that thick on New Testament history, how many know that's not the whole history of the New Testament church from, you know, the last 2,000 years? I could, you could have 100 volumes and it wouldn't be the whole history. 
it's got to be selective. Someone's got to go through and say, this is, what, this is what's important. This doesn't really need to be said. This, is, this was a key moment when this person said this, when this person wrote this book, when this person um, led this uh, movement, when this person opened this church. These were key moments that changed. You know, people like Martin Luther, you know, people that, 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 that changed the history of what we know as a church. But not everybody gets in there and not every event. And it's interesting, the, the, the filter that is put over the history, because that's a long history condensed into a short time, and you might just say, oh, well, it's just, just a little bit of a history. No, it's a very particular history, and it has a very particular um, bend to it, and it's something that you need to know when you come here. And it says, my father was a wandering Aramean. Well, I, don't, I didn't even know who that was, sort of, because I'm like... I've never heard of the wandering Aramean. How many, how many know the church of the wandering Aramean? You know, the, how many know? Uh, it's, it's Jacob. I thought they'd start with Abraham even. I honestly just thought that they would refer to Abraham, but it was Jacob. And they didn't call him. They called him the wandering Aramean. They, that's his, from his mother's side. His mother was an Aramean. Um, you know, he, when he went up to get his wife you know, that was, and Laban, they were Arameans. I know he spent years there working the farm and that area. And I was like, why pick up that part of his history? And he says, I, um, you sh my father was a wandering Aramean. And the word wandering is a, a really interesting word. It's a, it's a, um, most of the modern translations you use, you know, the word wandering. But if you go back to the King James, it's, it actually picks up the second half, and which is possibly what I think is actually was inferred here and meant. It's, it's not just, um, how can I put it? It, it, it means someone who's um, exposed, out, out on their own, um, not in a good way. You know, talking, you know the, the Greek equivalent is you know, with a sheep, you know, um, I, I was lost, but now I have been found. When it says lost, I was out there on my own. I was out wandering the, the wilderness. And it says, Jacob, he was in a bad way. Because when you think about it, he had the promise, and the, and the uh, promise to him was he would dwell in the land, just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he's got this promise, he's got the anointing on him. God said, you and your people are going to be like you know, the sand of the seashore. This has now come to Jacob, and where is he? He's up, not even in the, in the, in the land. He's up in the Aramean. He's, he's had to run because of what he's done. He's scared of Esau, so he runs, and he, he's all over the place. He's not in a good place. And you know, sometimes when God gives a promise, we think the moment the promise is given, it's like this, up, 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 fulfillment. But sometimes God gives the promise and he goes up two steps and down four. And then you're at a worse place than when the promise was given. Have you ever experienced that? That sometimes God gives a promise and then you end up a couple of weeks later worse off than when God says, I promise to provide this, and you say amen to that. In two weeks, your finances are worse than when you started. You say, well, hang on a second. Shouldn't it just be nice upward motion? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, or as I understood them, their, their true names when I was a teenager, my shack, your shack, and a bungalow, <laughs> these three Hebrew children that were in Babylon, and they were told, we, you must bow to the king. And they say, we will not bow. So you make a decision. 
you say, this is what I'm going to do. And the moment you make the decision, everything gets better. Except when they got thrown into the fiery furnace, they said, let's heat it up hotter than it's ever been before. It's like I make a decision to follow God and it's like the circumstances get heated up even hotter. Moses comes to the children of Israel and says, we're going to get delivered. God's heard your prayers. I'm going to lead you out. And the moment Pharaoh hears, he says, well, things are too easy for them, obviously. to be. They must have things too easy because they're talking about leaving. So he said, let's make it harder for them. No longer will we give them the straw to make the bricks. Now they've got to go and collect the straw and make the bricks, but the number of bricks they have to make doesn't go down, even though they've got all the... So life got way harder for them. The promise came of deliverance and it went down. The promise came of or, or you know, the declaration, I will not bow, and it got hotter. Jacob gets the promise. It comes to him, and he's running off, and he's, in, he's not even in the right area. And then his family's in, he's moving around, and there's, there's a famine. He's got no food. His family's falling apart. One of his families he thinks has been killed, finds out he's alive, but in order to be rescued, They've got to go down to Egypt. That's getting further away from the promises of God. Jacob had the promise, but everything looked like it was going backwards. Everything in Jacob's life looked like it was going the, the wrong way. He ends up down in Egypt, and it says, so this word, um, the wanderer or the, the sojourner, um, a wandering but it, it literally means perishing. A per the perishing Jacob. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. And he gets there as an old man. And there's no way he can lead his family out. He's too old and sick to even lead his family out into the promised land. But, you know, he made one thing. He made, he made um, Joseph promise him something. He said, when I die, take my bones with you. Don't bury them here. Take them to that promised land. He still saw it very clearly even though he wasn't going to be a part of it he said do not bury me here now that would have been an interesting thing it carried 400 years later okay we can finally take jacob and bury his bones but it was by faith he saw that this is why when you come to bring your tithe he said don't just remember it came from the moment when Abraham received the promise. He said, I want you to remember it from the time you're at your lowest. I want you to see where you are, not from when the promise was given, but from when the lowest point of you ever this happening was. And I want you to look that in the eye and say, I am here despite that. Not just here because of the promise. I'm not here just because the promise was given. I'm here because God brought me here despite all the stuff the enemy tried to do to stop it happening. And I'm still here. And I'm still here. He wanted me to stop. And um, the Lord really impressed on me to read this in the uh, Message Bible. And it had a phrase that just, just went off in my heart. Um. Let me just bring it up. In verse 10, I want, I want you to hear this. Um, 
Well, let's just read from verse 8 so you sort of get the flow. I want you to hear this. Because the sense is there, but it's, this, this just puts it really nicely. God took us out of Egypt with his strong right hand and long arm, terrible and great with signs and miracle wonders. And he brought us to this place, gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. So here I am. And I've brought the first fruits. Here I am. Here I am. All that's happened, the enemy tried to destroy it, tried to stop it, but here I am. Here I am, poking the devil in the eye. Here I am. <laughs> here I am. Here I am in the promised land. Here I am where the enemy never wanted me to be. And um, I don't know what your history is, but we can... We can <laughs> when, this is not just the history... For me now, this is the history when Jesus was in the grave on Saturday. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Saturday, before the Sunday. Before the Saturday. Not, not just when the promise was given, but when it looked like all was lost. When all was lost. But here I am. Everything that was promised was still valid and still coming to pass, even though it looked at the lowest point. It looked at the very lowest point. It looked like it would never happen. It looked like it was gone forever. But here I am. Here I am, Lord. I'm here to bring a, a, a tithe of what you have done because of no matter what the enemy threw at me and what he's tried to do and he's tried to destroy us and he's tried to destroy the church. The church got in such a mess. We had three popes and none of them were yours. This land was lost and terrible. The church was up and down. That's why you read history. Not just because you see the highs, but you can see the lows. And you can see how far away it got from what God planned and how, and, and how the church became so um, focused on itself and so far away from God. And, and yet the, 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 um, the promise from Matthew 28 was going to all the world and preach the gospel. And they're fighting over themselves and, and not doing anything. And it looked like it was so far away. Yet here I am in Australia on the other side of the world and the gospel has come here and I'm born again and I'm a follower of Jesus and the word has come here. Here I am. It's come. That's why history is so good because this did not look like it was going to happen. It was, there was no way this was going to happen. But here I am and here you are and you can put your own history in that. You can look at your own family history and you can look at your own resources and you can say, it was, it was never going to happen. You go back two or three generations, it was never going to happen. You go back five or six generations, we were, we were a godless people, but here I am. Here I am. You might be the first of this generation. You can say, well, here I am. God still had the plan. God still knew what to do, he was doing. Doesn't matter what they said. But not just here I am. What am I like here? What has he brought me here? I'm not dead and out in my feet. I'm not destroyed. I'm not like Jordan on the fourth day of around the Jericho. Here I am. What am I like here? I like, you know, what what, what it said, in the, you know, and um, he brought us out to this place gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. I want you to come down to 
uh, verse 16. We'll just read from there. There's, another, there's other quotations for another type of tithe and, and offering they're giving. We're just going to skip down, down, down to the summary of it, though, of all these things in verse 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have today declared the Lord to be your God and that you would walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments and his ordinances and listen to him. And the Lord has today declared to you by making this declaration and we establish ourselves, say, Lord, here I am. There is a response from heaven to this declaration. And the Lord today declared you to be his people, a treasured possession, as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he set you high above all nations which he's made for praise, fame, and honor, and that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God as he has spoken. He said, I want you to remember when you're standing there and you're in the promised land and the enemy has been driven out and you're standing, you're now bringing the fruit of your harvest and you're standing there and say, I am here as a result of all that God has done, and he has had his way. And God says, and you are, you are not just here. This is not just about the fruit. This is not just about the land. This is you. You're actually being brought to me. You are my treasured possession. You are my special people. You have the favor and blessing of God resting on you. You are standing in my favor. You are standing with my blessing all over you. Here I stand. Hallelujah. I don't just stand. I stand as a result of all that God has done. And I don't just stand as the end. I stand now to be that. I stand now to be what God has called me to be, to be the person ministering and living and bringing the blessing through me. Favorites know their history. (laughs) Favorites declare and understand who they are and how they got to be where they are. And it's not because, you know, the history is not, oh, we the Israelites were a mighty warrior people. Oh, I think of the time Joshua led us into battle and we were defeating them and we were so good and my sword was cutting down the enemy and my arm was strong. That's not the history. It's not about how amazing they were or the strength and the power that they had. Because, you know, in reality, what, the, what, that, what that story was, I remember when we, were, when we were getting overthrown and we were getting defeated, but Moses stood on that mountain and they lifted up the rod of God one hand and, and the rod of God was lifted up and suddenly a supernatural power came into us and we began to overthrow the enemy. That was the story. That was the story, not how good we were, but how good God was and how his favor, when, his, when, when, when we did it the right way, we had amazing victories. Hallelujah. This is what we remember. We don't remember how cool we were and how wonderful we were and how amazing this happened. Because, you know, without the favor of God, those things wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't have got here. We would not be here in this building except for the favor of Amen. God. We are not here because we've got some, such an amazing plan and we're an amazing group of people. We are here because God has chosen us and made us his special treasure. He has rescued us and brought us to himself. 
You know, the scripture in John 14 says, um, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, and sometimes people think, no man comes to heaven but by me. He doesn't say, he says, no man comes to the Father. His ultimate aim is not to the place. His ultimate aim is to the relationship. And the special treasure and the special, he says, I rescued you out of Egypt. He said, not to bring you to the promised land. He said, to bring you to myself. He actually said, I bring you, I bring you to myself. It's not just where we are that's amazing. It's our relationship and who God has made us to be and our relationship with him. And that is what we have then to bring to others. Here I am. Hallelujah. Why don't you just say that to the Lord? Say, here I am. Here I am. I'm here we are. This is where we are. Why don't you stand with me? Hallelujah. Here we are. Here we are, God. Here we are. Hallelujah. We've come this far. But how have we come to this place and what have we come to? Well, we recognize. <laughs> Hallelujah. We, we've, we've been blessed and brought. There's so many people. People that have gone before us. Given their lives to, so we can enjoy the blessings that we've got today. But we don't look back and say, oh, that was just because they were amazing people. No, they were just people. Yielded to you. People submitted to you. People allowed you to get hold of their lives. Hallelujah. These were not the greats of the earth, giants amongst men that then decided to serve the Lord. No, these were the forgotten, broken, damaged. We are not, we are not standing on the shoulders of the giants in the natural world, but we are standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before and just giving their lives to the Lord. Hallelujah. Here I am. I like the fact that despite all that they stood on, ultimately everyone stood before the Lord and said, here I am. Now it's me, Lord. I'm next. I'm the next one to take this forward. I'm the next one to go ahead. I'm the next one, Lord, to walk in your favor. I'm the Amen. next one to, Lord, minister life. I'm the next one to take and establish your, your um, promised land and develop this out, Lord, to be your, your place for your people to enjoy. Here I am. Here I stand. Here am I. Hallelujah. Oh.